For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Built for Playmakers podcast. I'm your host, Kelvin Hunt, editor of chopchat.com. Hope you guys are doing well. Uh, this will be a baseball-specific um, podcast for you guys that are looking for some football uh, content. We'll probably uh, get into some football content either tomorrow or the next day. Um, but yeah, been busy. Celebrated my oldest um, daughter's 14th birthday yesterday. So um, I was excited to do that and um, working four days a week now off on Fridays. So life is good right now. So a lot better than FSU baseball. But before we get into that, I want to go ahead and thank our partners at betonline.ag. Uh, they continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports development, including this year's uh, NBA Championship Finals, NHL Hockey Conference Finals, MLB, and the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures. So head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. To use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get the bonus and get into the action. Bet online where the game starts. But yeah, man, so I kind of wanted to talk about FSU baseball as a whole, um, had the season come to an end, and a one-run loss against UCLA after getting their doors blown off. Uh, against Auburn there in the uh, regionals. And, you know, first of all, I want to say that I, you know, I got some hate this year um, when talking about FSU baseball. You know, a lot of people, I don't know, thought I was, I disliked the team or disliked Mike Martin Jr. or what have you. I, I'm not sure. Uh, I feel like people probably didn't follow me the entire year and may, may have saw like a tweet here or there where I was being critical or whatnot. But with the way I look at this baseball program or I look at sports as a whole, I look at it this way. So with FSU baseball, you're going into year three. So this is my, this is kind of how I'm looking at the program before the season begins. This is year three. You're, you're supposed to have one of the best pitching staffs in the country. And we know offense was, was a problem last year you know, but you think you're thinking with the arms that you have, you can be competitive. And if you're remotely improved as an offense and defensively, you can probably win some games and, and host a regional. I mean, you were picked to finish number one in the ACC in the preseason because that's how, how much respect that the coaches have for Parker Messick, Bryce Hubbard, and so forth and so on. Um, obviously, that does not happen. FSU finishes ninth in the conference, fifteen and fifteen, uh, in one of the you know arguably the best conference in the country. But again, you you finished ninth and you were picked uh, to finish first. And we know that co coaches' polls are not you know they're not foolproof or anything like that. But it says something that you you kind of missed a mark by that much, right? 
And so early on in the year, you know, they start the season against James Madison, sweep those guys. But, you know, James Madison, James Madison, you're supposed to do that. The first red flag was Jacksonville. You sweep a team you should sweep and then you lose to Jacksonville. A team that's had your number for the last couple of years. All right. Then you play Sam Samford, excuse me, Samford, and you win the first two as you should and drop the final game in extra innings. Then you lose to Mercer uh, in extra innings. And you think, okay, well, things happen in baseball as extra innings. You know, whatever. Mercer's a, a decent program. And then you have California. You win two or three there. But as I'm going into that, as I'm going into that, Pre- that preview, I'm telling you that California is not a good team and you should sweep California if you're as good as you think you are. And lo and behold, California finishes below 500 or right at 500 on their season. Uh, you go and you you beat up on Florida Gulf, Gulf Coast. That's the game that Carson Montgomery finally shows you know, some progress. Um, goes five innings, I think it is. And then you take two or three from Wake Forest. You go struggle with Bethune-Cookman. You know, it's like eight, five in the fifth inning. So you're like, mm, and I think they're the only quad four team you had. Then you you whip up on NC State. Then you get whipped up by NC State. And then you go life and death for 17 innings. And I said, you know, whenever FSU became one of the last four in the regionals, how big was that win? Uh, in the 17th inning against NC State as they were one of the final four teams out. And, you know, this whole season, you know, as I was looking at the program, I kept, even even in the wins, and I think this is why people were critical of me, even in the wins, I was pointing out problems that I could see. And the reason why I was pointing those things out is I'm like, okay, this is the regular season and yeah, we're playing some good teams, but we're also doing the same thing against some teams that you should you should just absolutely smoke. And my thought process is, hey, if we keep doing those things that we're doing right now, when we get into the postseason, you have absolutely no shot. You just don't. Early in the year, you know, the pitching was carrying the team as we knew it, we thought it would. And you know, they just could not score. The strikeouts were mounting up just as they were last year. And, you know, defensively, they seemed to be somewhat better. But as the season went on, that progressively got worse. And, of course, the base running has been an issue all year long. But I want to talk about offense. So we're going into the year. We lose a lot of the production that we had last year with uh, Matthew Nelson so you know probably that the home runs are not going to be there, but hopefully you, you can get on base more and manufacture more runs. You know, Meat says he wants to be more aggressive aggressive on the base pass. And to his credit, they have tried to do that. Um, that They have stolen more bases. Uh, they stole more bases this year than they did prior to, and they had more uh, stolen base attempts and so forth and so on. But the offensive approach is the problem. And the, the red flag with that is, you know, Meat is the the batting coach. And we know that, you know, Florida State baseball is, you know, take a lot of pitches, work the pitches, get walks, get on base, have a high on-base percentage, and make things happen once you're on the, you know, you're on the base path, so forth and so on. The problem 
with FSU baseball is the majority of the hitters had no idea what their plan of attack was when they got up to the plate. Um, they swung at balls and then would watch fastballs right down the middle. And you would see, if you follow me on Twitter, you would see that I would, I would try to not always, but because I just, I don't know. I felt like, you know, people were like, dang, he's just, you know, he's been overly critical, but I would always try to post like what the pitch count was whenever they did have some success. And most of the time, you know, it would be like a two Oh pitch two Oh fastball, you know, and, um, Alex Terrell will hit a bomb or, you know, Jaime Ferrer will hit a bomb or whatever. Two, one, I wrote an article on it, you know, first pitch fastball. If it's, you know, you should, you should be hacking at it because usually you only get one or two at one or two pitches per at bat to, to make something happen. Um, especially when you're going up against, you know, good pitching and, you know, I saw, I can't count how many times this year the FSU batters, would just go up and swing at balls, get behind an account, and then they would have no shot. I mean, it happened in the last game with um, what's my guy, Reese Albert. Reese Albert goes up there, running scoring position. He swings at two balls that are inside, low and inside, and it's zero and two, and he is at the pitcher's mercy. And then you know he K's, I think, a pitch or two later. Bat, you know, at bat's over because he swung at two balls, you know? And so there, there is a talent deficiency offensively on this team, but when it comes to approaching fundamentals, that has nothing to do with talent. And the odd thing about it is, um, meet son is not an overly talented guy, but he has a great idea of what the strike zone is. And usually he swings at strikes. And so that's why, you know, he's a, a pretty good contact hitter. Yeah, I mean, you know, he was injured this year, but, you know, he batted like 284, 278, something like that. And so that's what baffles me is like his son has a really good approach when he comes up to the plate. But the majority of the uh, the other guys don't. And so, you know, if if FSU batters would go up there and understand what the strike zone is and swung at strikes, that would that would improve their chances immensely of finding success at the plate. You know, if you can consistently find yourself in, you know, two and O counts, two and one counts, three and one counts, or like I said, attack the first pitch fastball, you're going to find success. You know, when I played, that's exactly what I look for. I did not want to risk getting behind an account because then, I mean, then it's, you know, you're just trying to put the ball in play. You're not going to be able to do too much damage, especially whenever you're playing against a good pitcher right now, you will run into the occasional guys that are really good. A Parker Messick when it's three, one and he throws a change up for a strike. Hey, you tip your hat to it, right? Two Oh, two Oh count. He throws a curveball for a strike. You tip your hat, but more times than not, most pitchers are not going to be able to do that consistently. And so that's what FSU batters have to do moving forward. You, They have to either attack early in, in the count. And if you go up there and the guy throws a fastball right down the middle and you file it straight back, right? And then the next pitch, he throws one on the outer third and you file it off. And then he throws a curveball or change up in the dirt and say you take it. And then 
you know, he throws a curveball again in the dirt and you hit a weak ground ball to second base or whatever. You you can kinda you can kinda live with that because you know, hey, I I was on the pitches that I needed to be on, I just missed them. Then you know it's a timing thing. Right? But if you go up there swinging at balls in the dirt, guess what? They're going to keep throwing you balls in the dirt because you're swinging at balls. If I don't have to throw your strike as a pitcher, I'm not going to throw your strike. So that is well, that is why I was highly critical of, of their approach early in the year, or the whole year for that matter. Um, you did you did have a lot. No, I shouldn't say a lot. You did have certain guys that did much better jobs of putting themselves in hitter uh, hitter counts. And those guys usually found more success than the others. Okay. Now, from a pitching standpoint, I, I might be more disappointed in the pitching staff overall than I was the offense because I really wasn't expecting much from the offense. You know, pitching wise, you you had some you have some of the most talented arms in the nation. Going into the going into the season, most people considered FSU to have the best or arguably one of the best pitching staffs in the country. And, you know, Parker Messick, for the most part, pitched well for the majority of the season. Um, Herbert was up and down. He was better early in the season, aside from the Boston College start. And I wrote an article talking about, you know, can can Bryce find his dominant form again? And I, and I had guys... DMing me talking about why am I writing stuff like that? I'm like, because he hadn't been the guy that he's been earlier in the year. That's why, you know, he needs to find it. This is, you know, this is what he needs to do to find it. But, you know, whatever. And then Ross Dunn, who, as we learned today, via D1 Baseball has entered the portal. So that's another reason why I wanted to wait. I wanted to see if there was any fallout right after the season. Um, I want to see who and how many people would hit the portal. So you've you've lost arguably your your most talented arm that could have come back next year. Ross Dunn has entered the portal, so that was your Sunday guy. But at the same time, I mean, aside from like what three, four starts max, you know, he couldn't put it together. Um, he is what I would call mentally fragile. You know, whenever one thing went awry, it was over. He would just fold like a wet t-shirt and he would lose his command. He would hit batters. He would walk out on four pitches. And it is the most frustrating thing to me. I'm like, you throw 95 with a, a, a crazy slider or whatever. Like just throw strikes, just throw strikes. Stop trying to strike everybody out or whatever your approach is. I, I, I don't know what he would try to do, but you know, I mean, so losing him sucks, but at the same time, if he can't put it together up top mentally and, and, and perform, I mean, did you really lose anything? You know, you lost potential, but he hadn't shown you that he could put it together. Um, same with, you know, Bryce. Bryce, I mean, I love him, but towards the end of the year, it felt like he just was mentally fragile as well. You know, whether he was you know complaining about the mound or the grip of the baseball, or I'm like, I mean, how long have we been pitching? We've been pitching your whole life. How in the world can you struggle to find a grip on the baseball unless you have a blister or something like that? And that wasn't the case. So I I just, you know, I don't know. You know, it, it just feels like psychologically this team is soft. You know, I watched I watched some of the guys in the regionals. You watched the Oklahoma States and, you know, you watch some of the other teams. And those guys, are, hey, those guys are playing with some a fire in their belly, son, you know, Aside from Jaime, 
uh, and Jordan carry on, everybody else on the team is like, hmm, we'll, sh- we'll show up today and we'll play. But, you know, I don't care what happens. That's really what it felt like whenever you were watching this team. Oh, I'm sorry. And Parker, Parker was obviously Parker's uh, lights out when it comes to wanting to win and, and things like that. But I was talking more so from a, an offensive standpoint. But, you know, overall, it just feels like the team overall is just soft. Like, what do you, it's almost like they're just, hey, let's just show up. Maybe we'll win. Maybe we won't. And the concerning thing, too, was, you know, in games that you, you kind of knew late in the season, you know, as you were fighting to, to try to get a regional spot, you knew you needed to go into the UNC series and take two or three after you just beat Miami, two or three. And you get swept. Now, granted, getting walked off on at, it, it, as you're one strike away from winning the opening game, that that is a gut punch. But at the same time, it says a lot about you that you decided to lay down on the mat instead of get up and fight. You know, that, that tells me a lot about the team right there that, you know, you weren't willing to, you weren't willing to really fight for those two wins that you really needed to try to cement that, that the host in that regional and going back to the Miami game, I caught some slack for this, you know, Miami ran through those guys in, in the first game in the second game, FSU won. And again, they won, but I was critical of the team. And I said, it was more so that Miami gave you that win more so than FSU took the win from Miami. Now, granted, the third game, they they took the win from Miami. But winning that series was, was more about Miami giving you that second game than you taking it, right? So, yeah, you beat Miami two out of three, but at the same time, they kind of gave it to you. So that, that doesn't mean you're a good team. It just means they, you know, they sucked that day and they gave it to you. And we saw them go home. You know, I saw some Miami fans um, talking junk about FSU losing and going home. And then a couple hours later, they blow a lead and lose. And they're going home as at the same time. And they lost two or three to FSU. So <laughs> take that, Miami. But other than, uh, let's see, pitching-wise, you had Wyatt Correll. Hey, tip my hat to Wyatt. Wyatt, whew, man, he's lights out. He is lights out, and um, he is going to have to be a starter next year if FSU has any hope of of making it. Unless they, again, unless they just you know go and get somebody in the transfer portal that that's um, that's really good, and you know we'll we'll see if that's possible. But if that if that does not happen, Wyatt Correll has to be a starter next year, in my opinion. He is. He was the, one of the most consistent, if not the most consistent guy all year. And his his numbers were like, he was almost unhittable most of the year. And uh, he proved that he can go four or five innings in, in relief. So I, I see I see no reason why he can't work on that endurance this summer and, um, you know, be able to stretch it out to another, you know, five or six innings as a starter. Because uh, you, you, Carson Montgomery, he just – he showed some progress, but then he regressed. Like, I don't understand that. How he he finally got past the five inning mark several times in a row and showed a lot of a lot of grit, you know, different pressure situations, you know, high leverage situations and striking out the side after they, you know, get the bases loaded. 
And then he just imploded. And I just, I don't, I don't understand that. I don't understand how, I mean, it's, it's got to, to do with confidence, but at the same time, like, how could he, how could, how could you be on such a high? And then towards the end of the year, you just, you just, you know, you don't even show up or you don't even get put in the game there, uh, you know, towards the end of the, the regionals there. Um, I like Jack um, Ballmeister, but I don't know. Jack, he relies heavily on his fastball, and I feel like that he needs another pitch. He needs a third pitch before he can pitch on the weekends. Uh, if he's if he's not hitting with his curve, guys are going to time that fastball up, and they're going to rock him. Uh, I love Connor Whitaker. I love Connor. Connor is going to be a guy that you can depend on. He's going to eat up innings, throw strikes, makes you earn it. Hey, I, I love I love guys like that. So so you have some arms coming back next year, but you don't have anywhere near what you had this year. And if the offense struggles again next year, like it did this year and the year before, and you don't have the arms that you had over the last two or three years, it's gonna get ugly. And let's let's move to base running. Base running. Whew, wow. Like some of the things that they do on the bases, I I have no idea. I have no idea what they're thinking. And it's stuff that you you should know, you should learn in high school, if not before. And it's it's stuff that we've been seeing happen, not just this year, but in the last few years. And base running, somebody somebody tweeted me the other day. They said base running has a lot to do with speed. It don't have anything to do with speed. One of the one of the one of the guys that ran the bases the best that I ever played with played first base for us in college. And he wouldn't fast at all. But that guy named Jason Lockhart, one of our best hitters also. Jason knew the game. Jason was instinctive. You know, he can just read the ball in the gap, and he would just know, oh, he's not going to get to that and just take off. And he could score from first, and he wouldn't fast at all. You know, it's all about just knowing the game, knowing the situations. I mean, if you have speed, obviously that's a plus. Um, you know, but like, for instance, I give you a, so this is a solid play. So going into, I think it was the the last game against UCLA, um, Isaiah Perez on first base and the, I forgot who it was, but somebody hits the ball deep to center field and I started running halfway, you know, and, and knowing that the ball is going to be caught, um, Isaiah kind of goes out and then he realizes the ball is going to be caught. So he says, I'm going to tag up. Okay, you say, well, okay, well, man, why is he going to tag up from there? Well, your your offense is struggling. You you got to get in scoring position. You got to give your sense a ch- give yourself a chance to to get in scoring position. And he's really fast, and he knows that the guy's going to catch the ball, you know, with his back on the wall, and he's not really going to be able to get behind the ball and then come forward with a lot of momentum to get a lot of steam on that throw. And he's got to make a perfect throw to get him at second base. And he doesn't. 
Isaiah makes it safely. He's in scoring position. Obviously, they not they don't score, but you know that's a heads up play. Had he been thrown out, I wouldn't I wouldn't have said a word because it was a heads up play, and you, you're forcing them to make a play out there to get you out. But just you know going, you know whether you miss a sign on second base, thinking a guy's going to bunt or whatever, and then getting picked off. I mean, how many times did we see guys get picked off this year? How do you get picked off of third base? Like they squandered so many opportunities just by getting picked off this year. Situational hitting. I can't tell you how many times FSU had the bases loaded, no outs and didn't score. Runners on second and third, one out, didn't score. And it's as simple as just putting the ball in play. Hit a ground ball to second base, you get an RBI. Right? Hit a ball into the outfield, get an RBI. Lead off the inning with a double. What do you need to do at that point? You need to hit a ball to the right side on the ground, per, you know, prefer, preferably. What do they usually do? Strike out or hit a ground ball to third or short. Runner does not advance. A K later and a foul later, and you end the inning with not one run scored after you let off the inning with a double. It's simple, guys. I can't tell you how many times they they left scoring opportunities out there. And whenever your offense struggles, that's that's how you have to manufacture runs, and that just goes back to fundamental situational baseball IQ. And I don't know. I know when I was in, in college, we practiced a lot. I mean, we did a lot of scrimmaging. Um, more so like we would have the coaches to um, just take a fungo or whatever and give you the situation and then put runners on base. And then he would hit the ball. And then you kind of, you know, basically it would become a game. You had to make a play. And I don't know if they don't do any of that or, or, or what. You know, in those situations, you kind of get to practice your base running. You get to practice defense, situation, you know, situational things and stuff like that. I don't know if they don't do it at FSU. I don't – I'm not at practice. Um, I don't know what they do. But obviously something has to change. I mean, something has to change. Defensively, you know, like I said, earlier in the year, they eh, – you know they seem to be better. They seem to be better. They, I do, I do think they were better. in as far as like, like Carry On had as many errors as the Satis the year before. So this is a situation where stats will lie a little bit. I feel like Carry On made a number of plays that the Satis would not have made this year. So, so you know, even though they had the same number of errors and and almost exactly the same amount of chances. You know, I think Carry On's a better shortstop by by a pretty good margin because he can he could get some balls and make some plays that the Sadists couldn't. Um, what else? And I'm kind of just thinking off the top of my head as uh, as I'm just thinking through the season here. Another thing that that that's real troubling is Meat's inability to read his roster, well, construct his roster for one. Whenever you're struggling to find a Sunday starter, why do you keep running the same guys out there? Why don't you give somebody else an opportunity? Why didn't Connor Whitaker get an opportunity? Why didn't Jonah Scalaro get an opportunity? Somebody. 
aside from Montgomery and, and Dunn, whenever it was pretty much evident they weren't up to the task. Offensively, I mean, we had guys that were in slumps for I don't know how many at-bats. Logan Lacey couldn't hit a sack of balls at one point. Alex Terrell couldn't hit a sack of balls at one point. And he kept throw, you know, kept sending the same same guys back out there. Whenever you had guys sitting on the bench that wound up having less than ten at bats all year. You know, Brock Mathis had, I think, sixty seven at bats all year. He transferred to FSU to basically sit on the bench and go up to bat less than a hundred times and had like six home runs. I mean, you know, just the the loyalty of keep running guys out there, guys that are not even going to be here next year. Logan Lacey can't, you know, he's not going to help your team next year. Alex Sorrell is not going to help your team next year. Why why are you not giving those younger guys an opportunity to play? I mean, you know, I mean, you could say that. Well, Lacey, you know, he is versatile and he gives you, you know, uh, he can play different positions, but it's not like he was you know, a gold glove out there either. Same for Terrell. Uh, I, I don't know how many balls he missed this year as far as just balls he should pick up, you know, short hops or whatever, and you know, just missed them. But it's just the guys are not developing sitting on the bench. That's a red flag. If I was a young player and I was committed to FSU, I would seriously look at, man, yeah, Jaime got to play, Tibbs got to play, although Tibbs – you know, Tibbs didn't play, you know, there were times where he wasn't playing, and I was like, why is Tibbs not playing? Yes, it's, yeah, you got a lefty throw him, but, I mean, hey, he's one of your better hitters. Um, You know, that's that's a problem. That's a problem. You should have your best options out there. And if you have guys that are in a slump or whatever, yeah, you got to, you know, you got you to gotta hit your way out of a slump. But at the same time, sometimes it's just good to kind of just, you know, sit somebody down, uh, I know if I were playing, um, I know this sounds this sounds really braggadocious, but you know if I were ever ever sat down, oh, that would be all the motiv- motivation I would need to to refocus and say, okay, I need to get myself together um, so I can get back in the lineup. You know, if you kind of know you're going to be in the lineup, no matter if you suck, you know, five days in a row or not, eh, you don't really have a motivation. You, you kind of just nonchalant about it, whatever. Um, so, so you have that aspect of it and, you know, meet said after the game, after they lost in against UCLA that, you know, they got to look at, they got to coach better, but I mean, this, this, these are the same issues that have been here the whole time he's been head coach and, and I don't know why I don't know why people want to give him extra extra rope whenever he was here before he was the head coach. I mean, I've said it time and time again, it's kind of like when Jimbo was, you know, the head coach and waiting for Bobby Bowden, and whenever Jimbo became head coach, he kind of knew you know what needed to be fixed and he he went and he addressed it. He immediately addressed the trenches. I mean, the offense has been bad for a while. Um, 
and you kind of knew he kind of had to know that his dad wasn't going to coach forever. And yeah, I know you could probably say, well, you know, he didn't know he was going to get a job, but I mean, come on. It's not like we're really surprised he was the head coach whenever his dad retired. So why, why wasn't, why wasn't the focus on getting more, more offensive power in the lineup? And why, why are the batters having no plan of attack when they go up there when you're the batting coach? I mean, your, your forte is offense. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a red flag. Now it is, it is good. It is good to see, you know, the freshman Tibbs and, and Jaime come through. Those guys are, those guys are players. I love the way Jaime plays the game. Uh, whenever you see him just book it out of the box and, and stretch a single into a double, hey, that's, if you could get nine Jaime Ferreras out there, hey, you're going to win a lot of games, you know, but the concerning thing was just the number of guys that, that meet recruited that just haven't developed at all. I mean, even regressed somewhat. So we can point to the recruiting classes coming in the future. If, if they don't go on a draft. So you got to see how those shake out. Um, But at the same time, FSU coaches have to, they got to change some things. And it'll be interesting to see however however things shake out next year. Me has one year left on the contract, and if I were Michael Alford, I would. Um, I mean, I guess you could extend him one year, and uh, if he if next year is a dud, you know, we could go ahead and cut him loose or whatever. And you know, people are saying that you know I'm crazy for saying that, but at the same time, like, what are you watching? What? How can you be satisfied with going fifteen and fifteen in the ACC? Like that is nowhere. And he, and Mike Mike Martin Jr. would tell you he he said it in the the post game press conference that you know going to Omaha, going to the World Series is the standard, and we are barely getting into the regionals the last two years. So you know it's cool. I mean I st- I still support him. He's a coach, but. You can be critical of him and be supportive at the same time. Now, if Mike Martin Jr. goes out here and gets some some offensive firepower from the portal, I know the guy from NC State, there's some rumors about him possibly coming. If he goes out there and gets him and gets a couple of other guys and pairs him with Jaime Tibbs, um, Brett Roberts, if he comes back, you know, we, we still there still could be some fallout from – Guys on the team, we got to see who who remains and who leaves and all that good stuff. But if you compare some model like that with Jaime and Tibbs and, and Roberts and uh, Tyler, you you know you got you got a solid a solid lineup there. But I mean, you had Jaime hitting three twenty, Tibbs hitting three hundred, Roberts hitting three hundred, Reese Albert hit a very 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 quiet two eighty eight. Carry on, uh, hit 280, surprisingly. Uh, you know, after that, you know, Martin, like I said, he was hurt. Um, and But he hit 283 in limited duty. And then you had uh, Trayton Rank. Trayton, Trayton played in 45 games, started 23, and hit 278. Why, why didn't he play more? You know, so you got, 
you got some guys there, you know, that you can work with, but they're going to have to, they're going to have to, you know, continue to progress. You know, Tibbs had 10 home runs. Jaime had nine. Hopefully next year you can, you know, you can kind of get into double digits with both of those guys. Um, hopefully, um, Brett Roberts, you know, can, can give you a little more firepower, uh, you know, as far as, as far as power itself, because FSU scored less runs this year than they did last year, even though they played more, four more games this year than last year. So, you know, let that sink in. You know, I wrote about it on Chop Chat the other day. The on-base percentage was almost identical to last year. Home run numbers way down. Score less runs. You know, so if they would have capitalized on, gosh, 30% on the scored opportunities that they squandered, those numbers would be drastically different. And they probably win close to 40 games. Probably, or in a super regional right now. But that's not the case. So it's going to be interesting to see um, how this shakes out moving forward. Um, we'll see if other guys enter the portal other than Ross Dunn. Um, I'm curious to see who stays, who goes, uh, who comes in next year, um, who they bring in from the portal. And I'm curious, you know, man, I I wish I could just snap my fingers almost and just get to next year just to see what's going to happen because I was really excited um, before the season began. I even tweeted it. I was like, man, I'm counting down. I'm ready to see how these guys are going to do. And, man, it was was a very, very, very disappointing season. And I appreciate all you guys that follow me on Twitter and interact with me during the games. Uh, I really enjoyed um, talking with you guys, talking ball, getting your thoughts, giving my thoughts. And, you know, I I, I tweeted the other day. I was like, man, I said uh, I should start streaming uh, during these these baseball games um, so that you can see my my real time reactions. Um, I promise you that they would be worth it. And and they would be because, man, there were times this year when I was watching the game and I would just be like, oh, man, how it. I was just like, what What are we doing? So that's something I may look at doing next year. Um, that that would be kind of fun and, and, and different. I don't really see anybody else doing that. So if I see you doing that next year, I know you're trying to buy my style. So, um, But, yeah, man, uh, just I'm – this program is at a crossroad, really. And it, in my opinion, it's going to be – it should be make or break for Mike Martin Jr. next year. Uh I just don't I just don't see I don't see how you can keep supporting a guy that has been here years prior to becoming head coach and then taking over and I don't I don't even count the covid year for that matter you know I just look at last year and this year but these two years have been almost mirror images of one another and you had the same result you know a mediocre regular season and uh, early exit from regionals, bad base running, um, can't hit, you know, trying to ride your pitching, your pitching falters towards the end of the year. And like I said, early in the year, I said, if your pitching isn't there, I mean, you just have no shot. 
you have no shot in the in the postseason because in the postseason a lot of those teams can hit. You know, and you just can't you can't expect your pitching. I don't care how good they are, you can't expect them to hold teams to two and three runs every outing. You just can't do it. And you know, we we saw it. The final game against UCLA, the pitchers made two mistakes, gave up two home runs, and that was the game. The margin, I said it, I don't know how many times this year. I said the margin of error is too small for these pitchers, um, for them to be effective and for FSU to win games. So that's pretty much it, guys. Um, You know, I don't want to sit here, like I said, and just – feel like I'm beating down the players and the teams. Uh, you know, I, I respect all of those guys. Um, whenever whenever I'm being critical or pointing out something that – so if you're a player and you're hearing this, you're, you're, you've listened to me, you saw me tweet during the year, uh, hopefully you didn't take anything personal. I'm, I'm not trying to attack anyone. Um, I played the game. I know the game. And, you know, I felt like I was really fair. Whenever guys made a play, I pointed it out. And gave them props for it. But, you know, if you made a, a boneheaded play, then I got to call it how I see it as well. And like I said, my whole goal was to point out things that needed to be addressed, whether they won or lost early in the year, because I knew those things would come into play whenever we got to the postseason. Right. So you can't be you can't be results oriented all the time. Yeah. At the end of the day, all that matters is if they win or lose. But if you are process oriented, and you understand that if you do the things the way you're supposed to do them, then more than likely those wins are going to take care of themselves. So if you go up there and, you know, you, you have good approaches at the plate, you know, those averages are going to work out. You're not going to get hit. You're not going to get hit, get a hit every time. Sometimes you, you, you may hit a, a bullet right at somebody and get out, you know, but if you go up there and you consistently put the ball in play, you hit it hard somewhere, the averages are going to work out, you know. So if you go up there and you throw strikes, you get ahead, you don't walk batters, you're going to have success as a pitcher. You know, if you run the bases well, uh, don't give outs away. If you play good defense, don't give teams extra outs. You're going going to win a lot of games. So hopefully we'll see that going forward. Um, again, I just want to um, – Thank you guys for following along on Twitter this year. Um, it was a lot of fun. And I look forward to um, watching more games with you next year. And really appreciate all the support um, for the podcast. I know I hadn't been as active as as I had hoped. But if this is your first time listening, hopefully you got some, some information from the podcast. Hopefully it was entertaining. Um. Uh, if you have not been able to give a review, um, we'd love for you to be able to do that um, on whatever platform that you're listening on. Uh, we certainly appreciate appreciate that. The last time I checked, I think we had um, 28 five-star ratings. So um, we'd love to get um, 30 or more and just keep moving up. Um, I want to keep putting out good content, content for you guys. Uh, make sure you head over. And, and again, if you haven't taken advantage of the um, betonline.ag and you're into um Gambling, uh, make sure you do that responsibly, but um, that's a good way to uh, support the podcast. But uh, I look forward to um, coming back soon with some some football thoughts, and um, we'll talk to you guys then. Go Nose.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.